I'm Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hop Forward podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a show entirely dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a beer and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Happy New Year, everybody. Oh, what the hell? We all know I love a good pub. Hoppy New Beer! That's more like it. Welcome to the Hot 4 Podcast. The year is 2023. We're not riding hoverboards. We're still waiting for Jaws 19 in 3D to hit the cinemas. But the Cubs did win the World Series in 2016. And plenty of other things have happened thus far. While there's a lot of uncertainty in the air at the moment due to the economic crisis and impending recession, depending on where you live in the world, you could argue in the UK that we're already in that, it's good to focus on the things that we can control. Dr. Stephen Covey, the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, talks about a proactive and a reactive mindset. Now, proactivity doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to get up and go and rah, 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 but more so... It's about the narrative we're telling ourselves and how we respond to circumstances, pressures and things beyond our control, our circle of influence. Yes, we can't do anything about the cost of energy or price of raw materials, but we can assess our businesses, career paths or circumstances and choose how we respond to those things. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to smash it and all those other trite phrases. On the contrary, You might find you're out of a job in a few months or you're putting your brewery up for auction. But you can control how you respond to whatever comes your way. I thought I'd leave that little nugget with you to kickstart the new year as I've been thinking about my own personal goals, ambitions and things I'd like to do with my businesses. As you know, Emmanuel's, which is my brewery, such as it is, has forever been on the back burner in any meaningful kind of way. After all, Hot Forward is my main business. Working with breweries and beer professionals on branding and marketing is my bread and butter. But deep down, I would still love to create a brew pub which serves my beers of biblical proportions and gives me more space and opportunity to be creative in that way. And I've been telling myself for quite some time all kinds of things which have been stopping me. And these limiting beliefs have not only stopped me, but they've crippled me from making any meaningful progress on that venture. Now, I'm not about to chuck in everything else that I've built to go and set up a small brewery in this economic climate, just to put that out there, having heard scores of you in my mind going, no, don't do it. But I am going to pick up where I left off and complete my business plan this year. I am going to commit to brewing more with the space that I do have. And I am emphatically going to write a book. What would Jesus brew? Why I left the mega church to start a microbrewery? In the latter half of 2020, part of this exploration, exploring the potential business models, took me all the way to Cornwall. Not literally mind, as that would have been one hell of a drive. If you're an avid listener, you might recall last summer, I released a podcast called Is Small the Next Big Thing? I spoke to two brewers, 
one of whom runs a brew pub along the southern coast of England, and the other a brewery taproom in Northumberland brewing on a one-barrel system as part of that research. Not only did I conduct these interviews for the purposes of podcast content, but I was looking at how viable is the brew pub and small brewery business model. Not long after releasing that episode, I was approached by a gentleman called George Collins, co-founder of Lunt Rock Nano Brewery and Tap Room in Rock, Cornwall. Interestingly, this one-barrel brewery and tap housed in three shipping containers is located directly opposite Sharps Brewery. If you're unfamiliar with Sharps, assuming that you live outside of the United Kingdom or indeed live under a rock, Sharps is the Molson Coors-owned brewery that produces the famed amber ale Doombar. Doombar itself is mostly brewed in Burton-upon-Trent these days, much to the dismay of my late father-in-law when he found out. However, the cask version is still brewed a mere 160 metres away from Blunt Rock Brewery and Tap Room. I was utterly intrigued when George showed me a video of their setup and explained their tap room is a popular destination for locals, tourists and brewers from Sharps alike. If they could make a small operation work like that in a location like Rock, Wadebridge, in the southern west most part of the United Kingdom, could I make Emmanuel's work like that in a city like Sheffield? The answer to that question remains to be seen. But in the interest of finding out, I caught up with George to ask some probing questions about the brewery, cleaning, packaging, the tap room and more. But before we hop into today's discussion, let me take a minute, just sit right there and I'll tell you how you can find out more about the Hot 4 podcast and how we can help you, your brewery or business, to hot rocket your way to success. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. Did you know that Hot Forward works with a range of breweries, bars, bottle shops and suppliers from across the world of beer? We offer branding development, marketing support and business consultancy for everyone from brewery startups to craft beer professionals within the beer industry. Find out more about how we can help you hop forward over on our website at hopforward.beer or connect with us on social media at hopforwardbeers. For now, let's crack open this week's discussion. This week on the Hot Four podcast, I'm joined by George Collins from Blunt Rock Brewery. Hello. Hello. How are you? You all right? I'm all right. Thank you. Uh, I think a virtual cheers from the north to the south is in order. So clink, clink. There we go. Clink. So what what are you drinking? I'm drinking uh, Moon Juice. It's an international collaboration between us and Estuary Brewing Company who are in Charlestown, uh, South Carolina. And they've, they've, they've brought a couple of their cans over. Are you doing a collab with them? Yeah, so so we've they've already brewed. We we sort of came up with the recipe. They've brewed it out there, and then I brewed it today. Um, same recipe, ah. different kits, different countries. Happy days. So how how did that connection <laughs> come about? So basically, where we are, we're pretty close to some pretty good windsurfing spots, and Estuary Brewing Co. did a beer called Drifter for this company called Cabrina, who make all the kites and stuff, mm. and um, they were doing this tour. Uh, and they were stopping off at this beach near us and they wanted somewhere to do a kind of like after party thing before the event and yeah they, they they got in touch with us and they said by the way our partner brewery who does the beer for us is uh coming as well do you want to get in touch with him and then yeah so we so we brewed their beer drifter we canned that 
and then we did another beer called Moon Juice, which is the one I'm drinking now, and it's it's being entered into the Great American Beer Festival. Oh, amazing! So, so yeah, yeah. should be fun if it wins. It, I'm sure we'll have to go out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, big IPA look, it looks juicy. It's five point six. We've done ours a little bit strong with ours at six point two. It's Nectaron Galaxy and Motueka. So yeah, it's 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 really like nice sort of watermelon notes, a bit of citrus in there as well. Mm. I think anything with Motorica, you just, I, I always just get so much watermelon, like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, kind of. It's new world, isn't it? Motorica. Yeah. 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 I've not used it for a long time, but I remember using uh, that a lot. And uh, Racal, that's another one, isn't it? Racal, yeah. yeah. Um, in various brews, actually. And um, I love those new world hops. Yeah. I, I, for me, I think there's something about New Zealand hops and, and Australian hops that are just, I think I prefer them to US stuff. Mm. I think they're less. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's just all in my head. But I always find them a little bit softer, a little bit less intense. Yeah, there's a very um, like with uh, Nelson Savan. There's a very kind of like a white grape, white wine, mm. gooseberry kind of flavour. I find yeah. with those hops. Bill, well, thanks for being on the show, George. Um, for, firstly, for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into the brewing industry, and then about your setup at Blunt Rock. Yeah, so my name's George Collins. I've been brewing full-time for eight years now. I'm originally from Burton-on-Trent. I grew up in Burton-on-Trent. My mum and dad actually met when they were working for Ally Breweries. Oh, no way. (laughs) um, Which is, I think, Coors now own that company. So Um, brewing's really literally in your blood. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And then 1890, something like that, I decided I wanted to be in Cornwall. And I got a job at Sharps Brewery. So I left Burton to get a brewing job and then did a couple of years at Sharps. And then I did about five years at Padstow Brewery, just on the other side of the uh, Camel Estuary. And just over a year and a bit ago, I left Padstow Brewery, came back over to the other side of the estuary and opened up Blunt Rock Brewery, right opposite Sharps Brewery. So we are neighbours with Sharps Brewery. <laughs> Amazing. What, what's it like being yeah. op- opposite Sharps? It's It's... It's actually it's actually been really good because obviously you know like we, we're doing completely different kind of beers we're doing much more modern styles you know trying to be a bit more experimental um, they're doing you know kind of all traditional cask stuff but you know having worked there I think we've got a really good relationship with them you know the, the brewing teams the racking teams will be coming in after their shifts uh, having a beer and and also they do a lot of lab work for me oh amazing. Um, because I don't have an I don't have an Anton Paul or anything like that. So if I need a DO doing, or if I need like, uh, for instance, I got like I got some sodium testing done the other day, and it's you know it's it's um it's really handy because they've got a really really expensive lab, uh, and they let me run through samples quite a bit. So well, fantastic. It's good. It's a, it's a good relationship. Uh, it sounds like it. Um, so um, t- tell people about your setup because I first heard from you um not long after i did an episode fairly recently you can go back and listen to it um if anyone's listened to this it was about nano brewing and you got in touch to say that you run a is it a one barrel setup yeah so we're actually just less than that we um we we it's a it's a little kind of nano brewery brew pub um and it's it's in shipping containers so we've got the breweries in one 40 foot high cube container so the high cubes means a little bit taller a bit more ceiling height. It's a it's a 150 litre brewing bag kit. Uh, it's from a company called Brew Tools, who are based in Norway, and they 
they produce these sort of like they're they're a bit like a uh, brownmeisters, but uh, they don't break the bank quite as much yep. as a brownmeister. <laughs> and yeah, it's 150 liters. I mean, I'm definitely pushing out as much as you possibly can from that kit. I'm right brim full on every brew. <laughs> yeah, we've got five one barrel FEs, two two barrels, and we've got uh, one three and a bit barrel, which we bought from Pipeline Brewery very recently. Oh it's yeah, the, the okay. most recent because yeah. they're not far yeah. from me, are they? Are they? No, they're just they're just a bit further down on the north coast. Yep. So yeah, there's there's, there's quite a bit of double brewing and triple brewing, which is obviously a long day because it's a brewing bag. So you have to wait for the whole thing to finish. Yep. Do your CIP and then do the whole thing again. So yeah, I mean it's, it's it'd be quite hard for listeners to appreciate unless maybe they go on your Instagram, um, which is Blunt Rock Brewery. The, the logo is is a little island which is just off the coast where we are. So it's a little black and white logo, and most of the posts have a kind of yellow theme because we we're in big yellow shipping container so it it, it should be obvious which one we are awesome so uh, if anyone's listening to this just hop on instagram right now and look that up because uh, when you when you showed me the video and you gave me the little walk around the brewery and your your cold store and then your tap room i was absolutely amazed like that you were doing what you're doing so I, i don't think unless you see it people are going to fully appreciate the kind of setup you've got so assuming You've done that and you're listening to this now and you've just looked at the Instagram. I think the question that's going to be on everyone's mind is how on earth do you guys manage to keep up with the demand and keep up with brewing and making a living on a Brew Tools 150? Is that the right one? Yeah, yeah, the B150. How does that work? (laughs) I'll tell you, it doesn't work, to be honest with you. We never have enough beer. It you know, we 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 produce because it, it it's we're still working to the same timelines as as if we were a ten barrel kit, so it still takes kind of three to four weeks to to produce a good beer with a you know to allow a bit of conditioning time, and obviously we're transferring everything before dry hops, get the cell count down. We, you know, we're trying to make high quality stable beers, but they take time, and you know, a whole batch can take us three four weeks to make, and we can sell it in two three days. Yeah. Because, you know, especially if you're doing transfers and dry hop losses, we, we can be getting four 30-litre kegs out of a brewer and then that's it. Yeah. You know, uh, so, so to be honest with you, it's impossible. I think the nano brewery kind of model really would work less about a tap room. You know, we, we, we didn't think the tap room would be quite as busy as it, as it has been. It's been really busy. It's been a, like a real huge success. I think partly because there's no one else doing anything like that around where we are. I mean, mm. Where we are, it's all, beer is very conservative. It's it's an Austral brewery have pretty much all the pubs and all the outlets. And then anything that's an independent is kind of battled over between St. Austral Brewery, Sharps Brewery, who are opposite us, and Harbour Brewery, who are like the kind of fairly big regional. So there's no outlets doing anything that isn't other tribute or doom bar pretty much so i think just because we're doing not that it's been you know we've had a massive demand so yeah we're, we're sort of always always chasing the taps we, we never have more than four of our own beers on at any one time and yeah the beer doesn't stick around you know we, we, we can produce cans on a friday and they can be gone by monday right yeah, i mean so. that 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 kind of blows my mind as well um because I was going to ask a bit, a little bit later on, but given that you brought it up, like I mean, you're packaging into cans as well as doing kegs, and I know yeah. just from again, listeners will be able to appreciate this unless they go on my Instagram, which is 
at Hot Four Beers, but I mean, I'm I'm in my brewery, which in essence is a simple, you know, so, oops, that's like a one barrel, one US barrel, I should add, SS, mm-hmm. Brutech, FB, and then there's two 100 litre ones. So I'm, I'm not very big either. And I know, like, if I'm like, if I've got like, for example, I've got um, Sheffield Beer Festival coming up. So I'm like, right, well, if I brew into my, my Unitank and take a Firkin out, which is what they're after, then I'm only going to have a few cans left. You know, yeah. and so it says like, it's like how how do you balance that when you're making cans? Like, you, are you double brewing for certain batches if you're doing that, or like, just talk us through your brewing process and yeah. your packaging process, and, and, and with the size you are, the thought that goes into what goes where. We're brewing a lot. You know, we've got quite a bit of a, a fermentation capacity. I think that's the main, the most important thing. If you're going nano, is you've got to have fermentation capacity. So you know, I'm probably brewing on average between four and five times a week. And that can be two brews in one day. And then it could be three single brews. So it could be four days of brewing or less. Generally, I have a day when I try and get all my transfers done. So there's a day of that. Then there's packaging, which is normally going on whilst brewing's going on and tank cleaning. And it's just busy. That's the only way I think you can, for from my experience, get the nano kind of model to work. It's because of the small brew length, you've got that freedom. You've got the ability to kind of try things out that you perhaps wouldn't on a 10-barrel system or something like that. But, you know, you've you, you you've got to have the tank capacity to continuously do it because it, 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 there's no good, because obviously things go wrong when you're trying out really kind of new things. So you've got to have enough tanks so that if one batch goes wrong or whatever, one batch doesn't go quite to plan, takes a little bit longer. You've, you've got to be churning out five six brews a week mm. basically in order to actually kind of make up for that but yeah the, the only way you can do it is from my experience is to just have loads of fermentation capacity yeah because your kit can brew all day but if you've only got say one fe and you've got a one barrel kit you're doomed the, the, there's no there's no way to do it mm. for batches we, we often split batches can and keg so we'll do a load of cans off we'll do say 40 percent of the brew to can and then 60% the keg. But, but you know, it's it depends. And that's another thing that we found. It's a lot of the suppliers aren't geared up to nano brewing. So, like, we use, we use all liquid yeast. We don't use any dried yeast. And we've had a couple of suppliers. And they don't really do pitches down to that kind of size. Yep. So, quite often you're getting a three or five hectolitre pitch you're brewing one and a half hectolitres. So you have to sort of break it up. But then obviously you've got to make sure that your cell count is still is still good. You've got to make sure your viability is still good. So there's a lot of juggling that goes on in order to do it. And, you know, especially with us where most of the beers are hoppy, a lot of them have mid-firm, early-firm hop additions. So you can't crop off those beers. Mm. So <laughs> it is difficult because, you know, obviously if you were, if you were a bit bigger and, you know, you weren't as bothered about it being liquid, you could just chuck a brick of of Nottingham or, or or whatever, and it would and it would work. But that's that that's one of the difficulties we found. And you know, hops, a five kilo bag can last us quite a while. So having to open a bag and then use it over four months or so, three four months, I'm kind of I'm putting a bit of three eighth, you know, CO two hose in, purging it, and then trying to squeeze it up and zip tie it. 
it, it, there's lots of things that I just think the market, the suppliers aren't sort of geared up for when it comes to that tiny scale. And yeast is the, the big one for me, really. I, I totally hear you. I mean, I, I know on this kit, again, it's slightly smaller than yours, um, but I know that I've wanted to use certain yeast strains. And, you know, I, I, I can't get older of them unless I get like a couple of, you know, small vials from somewhere mm-hmm. like the malt mill or wherever you know, a homebrew shop and yeah. then, and then grow it. But then I've got to brew a work just to do that and spend the yeah. time plating it and then pitching <laughs> it into a smaller fermenting gin, a good shake and then doing a brew and pitching it. And it kind of feels a little bit like a lot it's of effort. Work. <laughs> it really, really is, you know, but I mean yeah. the hop thing as well. Yeah. I was told by um, a hop merchant fairly recently that um, it takes so much more effort to do one kilo bags than the five kilo ones like so mm-hmm. they, they just don't do it but i i hear the yeah. frustration because i have a similar problem i mean yeah. my space down here as um because it's in the cellar of my house we've had our kitchen renovated and at long last it's done um but there were some hops that we had, we put in our friend's freezer but there was a few bags that i've missed and i found them and i'm smelling them like are they, I don't know if these are oxidized or not. And it's like, well, you know, I've still got half, of, yeah. like, uh, you know, 500 grams of these. And it's like, it's kind of borderline. Do I use it? Do I not use it? And it's, yeah, it's, you know, I would imagine in America where nanobreweries are more common, that actually they're, they're a lot more geared up out there for that kind of setup. And and the, the, the varieties of setups that people have, I've seen people have like, you know, tap rooms in their garage yeah, you know yeah, stuff, yeah yeah totally yeah yeah I, I think i think you might be right you know i, I think the states have uh, a bit, it's been around for a little bit longer so they've kind of i think suppliers have recognized that it's it's not just a little fad it is sort of a bit more permanent and you know it's 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 kind of a like a like a new way of of thinking about brewing but the, the uk is just not there yet i just don't think they're sort of ready for it you know but in comparison to we're getting our yeast at the moment from YHC, so it's coming from Ireland, and it's 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 pretty quick to get here. You know, it's still viable when it arrives, and we're using it within kind of ten days. All that all that yeast, as I said, it's 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 bigger pitches because they can't do that tiny pitching rate. But you know, you think about the states. You've got White Labs, you've got Omega, you've got all these suppliers. And when we first started, you know, you're saying about propagation, I was buying stuff from Maltmiller, homebrew pitches from the States, propping them up (laughs) and then spending a day under the, you know, a day or two sort of doing all my cell counts and pitching rates and then actually using that. And then I was still having problems with like diacetyl and stuff like that, because although what I can tell from a a viability test is, tells me that yeast is viable. It's not the healthiest, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, I haven't got the equipment to, to work out what health that viable yeast is in. Although it's, you know, it's it's a tick box. I don't, you know, there's you don't have enough information to measure all of that. That was one of the big things. And then and then we got in touch with YHC and he was like, yeah, we can do you double or triple brew sizes and you can sort of work it out. But the the main thing that I found with us it's incredibly difficult to do a production schedule mm. on the nano kit with that many fes and that's another thing all our grain is uncrushed it's whole right and we're crushing it before the brew because if you buy a ton of crushed malt <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> gonna be there um, a while <laughs> yeah and and obviously you know the cost of everything if i was to buy all my malt from malt miller it 
it would just you wouldn't be able to make a profit. Mm. Um, so I'm buying everything from crisp whole, crushing it. But quite often I'm not even deciding what I'm brewing until the CIP of the day before. Yeah. I'm like, right, I've got this yeast, it's ready to go. I've got a double tank or a single tank or a triple tank. What the hell are we gonna brew? Yeah. So and and it's a case if you walk in the cold store, oh, there's nothing in there, it doesn't really matter what I brew. <laughs> um, because you're always chasing anyway, you know, you've never got enough beer anyway. So We've just found it incredibly spontaneous. Every time you brew, it's really hard to sort of predict, you know. And that's that I found was very different to obviously shops. Is the production schedule is like pre-planned and it's concrete. Yeah, Padstow was pretty pre-planned. You know, you would do a production schedule last year, a couple of months. Obviously, always subject to change. But I've just found at Blunt Rock, it's, it's all over the place. You know. <laughs> I was I was going to brew tomorrow, and I decided last minute. No, I, I've got time because I've got three beers to rack, and I've got to clean all the FEs. And being in a shipping container, it's incredibly narrow. Yep. So I'm constantly climbing over things. I've got the CIP pump out. That takes you know. Luckily, we've got the end doors, and we've got a roller door right at the other end. So I quite often have the ladder up on one FE because I'm doing a dry hop or something or I'm cleaning out hosing out an FE I've got a CIP pump with another one I might have a brew on so I'm constantly just doing laps to and fro from the back door and it just makes every job that should be a quick hose out of tank it's not like a quick 10 minute take the fittings off soak them hose out the yeast get it ready for CIP it can take like an hour yeah, because I'm constantly turning and throwing, only to get the hose, but I can't reach the hose because there's a pump and ladder in there. So I've got to go the whole way around, pass it. it. Do you know what I mean? Oh, mate! Again, just 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 to reiterate in here, like um, I mean, there's barely any room. You can't really you can't really see it. There's barely any room, um, but it's like playing Tetris, you know, like yeah. And it's only since having the building <laughs> building work done in the kitchen, so they had all the floor up. Before there was there was nothing that resembled any 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 kind of drainage, so any any liquid had to yeah. go into buckets and then be taken up and then outside the drain, and they had the floor. I was like, oh, can we put a pipe in that runs from the cellar to the drain <laughs> out the back so I can like pump? And they're like, yeah, of course, you can do that. And I'm like, I'm looking at it now, and I'm like, that is the best decision I ever made, <laughs> you know, because I wasn't going to do it at one point, and then when I saw the opportunity, I was like, let's go for it. But yeah, that it. it's like it is like playing Tetris, so. It is, yeah. Having worked at two very different breweries, macro and micro, and having been around a lot of small breweries doing collabs and stuff like that, and just just visiting, you sort of have like a really good idea of like, right. So I'm not bodging the floor, yeah, because I've seen too many breweries that have, and it it doesn't work. You know, you you know what works, but the reason most people are doing nano is because they are either con- con- constrained on space. Or, or cash, you know, the 10 barrel brewery is not cheap. So although you've got all these lovely ideas, like like we have, and I think I think we've planned ours pretty well, but you can't put drains in a shipping container because it means drilling through the floor. Yep. So we've just put like resin straight on the marine ply and then just tilted the whole container. So it does run off, but you know what it's like if, you, if you've got a hoppy beer or something and you're, you're cleaning that tank off, it just coats the floor. Yep. And then what normally you'd have a drain outside your tank and it just squeegee it in. It can take hours of hosing little corners out, getting the squeegee in because it's a confined space. I, I, I've got these big 200 litre old chemical drums. I just fill one up with water, chuck a jug of chlorinated caustic in it, and just tip it over. And I find, you know, so it's, it's a lot of water to use and it's quite a bit of chemical to use, but it's the only way you can actually get the floor clean. Yeah. You know, so, so there's like, as I said, I think it's, it has been 
sort of well thought out, well planned. I knew exactly what not to do just from experiencing breweries that have cut corners in certain ways. But if you're opening a nano brewery, it's probably because you've got a few overhead constraints in the first place that you just can't work around. Mm. And that's and that's one thing that we found. And that was that was the size thing, you know, doing it in a shipping container. That's it's, it, it has been a constraint. How did you manage to find and secure the site and these shipping containers to your brewery and tap room? Because you know, in Sheffield, there's nothing like that. I've seen a few breweries. I mean, didn't Verdant start in a shipping container as well? I think they did, yeah. How did that whole thing work? So I always wanted to... Kind of, kind of as long as long as I knew I wanted to be a brewer, I kind of always wanted to have my own brewery. Mm. I think it's the dream for everyone. I think he works in brewing. Yeah. One one day want to open their own. Um, and I knew I wanted it to be a brew pub because when I was growing up in Burton, my best mate's dad opened a brewery called Tower Brewery, and it's in the old Salts Brewery Water Tower. Right, and it's this big lovely grand 30 barrel kit he does all cask and traditional stuff and it's sort of this old water tower so he's got his his clt right at the top his yep. hlt right at the top it's the grist store you know mill all that and so it, it's and it's a beautiful beautiful brewery and on a friday night everyone goes down there and there's a tap room there and i just thought what wow, was such a good idea and so it was always sort of the plan to do that to find a space and the, the thing is is where we are in Google. Land is expensive and it's very, very hard to come by because we we are in rock, um, you know, opposite shops. Mm. But, you know, just two minutes down the road is Polzeth, which is a really busy tourist spot. And then just on the other side of the estuary is Padstow, which is, again, a really busy tourist spot. So, you know, we I always said I wanted it to be in Polzeth rock because that is where I lived, um, you know, where I live now. That's where my friends were and that's where... All the pubs were sort of a bit conservative, a bit the same. So we, you know, said it wanted to be there, but then it's impossible to find a spot. So I just thought, you know, even if I do find a spot, it's going to cost millions of pounds to secure it to make it functional. Mm. And then I went up to Newcastle to do some brewing with Errant's Brewery, who were up there, and they took me to buy the River Brew Co, which is all the shipping containers. Yep. And I was just like, that's it! Like, <laughs> what a good idea! Like, I just never seen anything like it, and and you know, it just blew my mind. And I was like, right, well, we don't have to find a premises. We've got to find a field now or a bit of land. And then just boom, 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 like Lego, you put your containers in place and kick them out. Again, it's still difficult to find the land, but my business partner, Hugo, he he got involved in 2020, kind of late end of 2020. But I'd had the company since 2018, 2019, mm-hmm. trying to find a space. So, you know, I had, I had the brew tools already, doing some brewing on that, but it's just trying to find a premises. And it was actually his old surf lifesaving coach to the surf lifesaving club at Poles F, a chap called Lindsay. And we do a beer after him now called The Legend of Lindsay Anderson. <laughs> nice. And, and uh, he did um, like European boat transport and stuff. He had this like lorry park opposite Charles Brewery. And he was one of the first guys on the estate, which is now fairly big because you've got Molson Cores there, you've got boat yards and stuff. And he was, since Brexit, it's made driving boats around Europe to and from England quite difficult so he said well I'm just going to sack it off a bit early and he said you know did you go do you want this spot and yeah we we, we took it on and I said the rest is history really but but you know it it was a long long process finding that and I think it was from getting the offer from Lindsay to actually saying yeah we'll have it was you know a matter of weeks it, it, it was extremely quick you know we got the lease sorted mm. it, it was about as quick as we could have done it but you know there was there was a long time before that 
speaking to people, you know, trying to find a suitable plot of land. That was the the hardest part for us. Yeah, I think as nano brewers, it that finding a location is really difficult unless you fall on your feet. And I know one of the things that stopped me setting up Emmanuel's, which is essentially what's in here properly, quote unquote, is the lack of space. You know, it, it is in my cellar because there's nowhere else for it. It used it used to be in the cellars of Sheffield Brewery Company when I was the head brewer there. And, you know, I could just put my kit in the FE room and go brew on that and brew, you know, one of our core beers and then nip downstairs and sometimes nick a bit of work just to, you know, put in my brew and <laughs> make it a bit easier. But now when I'm trying to get this business really off the ground, trying to find somewhere is so difficult. And then you start thinking because you're not big enough at this scale by any stretch to make any kind of living off just selling to bars and pubs and bottle shops, nice. you know, you you then thrust into a world of, well, I need to set up a tap room of some description where people can drink yeah. my beers. But then you're like, well, if I do that, then I'm going to have to start hiring bar staff because I don't want to, I don't want to brew yeah. all day and then be serving beers all night because I'll, you know, I've got family and I'll never have a life, you know, I'd be quite interested from your point of view because am I right in thinking there's, is there three of you or is there more of you that... So there's me and Hugo who own the brewery. Yep. And we've got three members of staff as well. So there's five of us in yep. total. How do you make that work financially, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, yeah, as you said, you need to have an outlet because the volume is so little, you need the maximum margin that you can possibly get. I think I, I can't see any way a nano brewery would work unless it was sort of like emperor-esque brewery sort of doing like ridiculously strong mixed firm <laughs> or like <laughs> yeah. you know 15% stouts that you can sell for a lot of money and build a bit of hype around. But if you're doing beers like that people want to sort of consistently drink, like IPAs and pale ales and ambers, lagers, stuff like that, you you need to be selling it at the best possible margin. So that, that means having a tap room. We, we always knew that the tap room would be pretty much the sole income. I thought we'd do a bit of trade, but we just we just don't have the capacity. They don't have the stock to do any trade. Yeah, it's, you know, the tap room isn't just our beer. As I said, it's we can't keep up with it. There's eight taps in there and a fridge full of beers and I would say probably 70% of all of its guests. Mm just because there's no way with the current brewing setup we can keep up with that demand. Yep. So yeah, it's, you know, nano brewing is great, but you, you know, there's not much beer to sell. So you absolutely have to be getting as much money out of that as possible. And the only way to do that is, yeah, to have a tap room. Yeah. But then obviously you've got staff because as you said, you don't want to be brewing all day and then do a shift in the tap room. And also the customers don't want that because you're going to be stinking of, you know, work, hops and you're going to be in a bad mood because you're tired and run down you burn out <laughs> yeah so and, and then everything suffers the customer's experience suffers the beer suffers so you have to have staff and then obviously if you've got good staff like we have Karis who works in the room she's great if you've got good staff then people come back and you get busier and busier and busier then you need more staff yeah and then it's like right well what are we are we a nano brewery or are we a tap room and Although you intend to start as a nano brewery, we we've sort of become a tap room um, with a brewery on the side of it. Mm. Um, 
you know, but it's, it's not it's not the initial startup intention, but you've got to just follow where the money is because obviously, you know, we've got right now we've got five people's income that we've got to sort of guarantee. Yeah. You know. So if that means running more as a tap room, then so be it. Yeah. Do you guys plan on scaling at any point? And if so, what's, yeah, what's the plan? We, and- we, yeah, we do. It, we, we, we're, we're planning, I don't want to say it and jinx it, but hopefully this winter to get a 10 barrel kit. We, we, we found a, another spot because, you know, we, we one, we can't keep up with the demand from our tap room alone. Uh, two, you know, we've got a lot of people inquiring, trying to trying to get hold of our beers, and we're having to turn it all down, obviously, which is it's because you're just turning away trade that you could you could have, and also it takes the strain off me because I'm you know one of the owners in the in, in the head brewer, so well I'm also the only brewer, so you know, you're <laughs> when when it's nano and you know you've got to brew as much as possible, there's so, there's so much pressure to brew I, I, I'm always just feeling so guilty if I know there's a tank free and I haven't filled it like the day it's been empty or the mm-hmm. day after I feel like oh god I could get a brew and could get a brew in. but that, that there's so much pressure because there's so little beer and you're always chasing it to, to actually just brew 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 so yeah we, we intend to expand 10 barrel kit canning line start doing some distribution put collabs in and just you know, actually supply the tap room and a few other, a few yeah, other places. Yeah. yeah, it's a funny balance I find because um, there are so many breweries out there in the UK. I mean, I'd, I'd well, I was going to say I'd hate to be in America, but America's huge. So, you know, if you're the only brewer in town, then it's, I was going to say quids in, it's dollars in, you're going to cash in, aren't you? Mm. Um, whereas over here, you know, it's such a small island and with, there's around 2,000 breweries. You know, there's, I mean, in Sheffield, where I am, there's loads and mm. it's, you know, you, you hear of pubs closing all the time and so on. And and there's a fine balance between being small and not being able to produce enough and people, you know, flocking to your tap room to drink your beers and so on. And then, you know, the, the fear of, well, if we expand and upscale, you know, are we going to be able to shift it all? How do you balance that? Or do you just yeah. have enough self-confidence to be like, yeah, fuck it, you know, we're going <laughs> to smash it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are right. I mean, Hugo, my business partner, is, a, is much more cautious than me. I'm much more like you said, fuck it, we can do it. Like, <laughs> like we, like we, I know we can do it. We just, if we don't try, we'll, we'll always regret it. But I think what we're doing for where we are on, you know, like North Cornwall Coast, North of Newquay, South of Bude, so that little tourist trap in the middle, mm-hmm. There's no one doing anything like it. And I don't think anyone else would. Um, you know, it, 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 it's sort of like, we, you know, our, our brand, the, the way we kind of present ourselves is very like, oh, fuck it. Let's just, you know, let's just go with it. You know, there's, it's, it, it's a bit rough around the edges. We're a bit more like, I, I can't think of the best way to describe it, but, you know, like we don't, do things the same as other pubs and breweries and stuff and that and that is why I think we are so well we have been so popular so so busy because we know what we don't want having sort of spent our young adulthood in this area where gradually all the places we used to go have become gastro pubs and tourist mm. hotspots and they play it very safe and by the rules and because of that Blunt Rock has kind of become this like it's it kind of against all of that 
and that's the whole principle of it. It's like, no, you can't have a table booking. Sorry. You know, like the, the beer changes every time you come in. When people come in and they and they complain, oh, you know, for, for, for instance, we don't do pints. And people come in and say, oh, well, I want a proper pint. And I'll say, well, fuck off down the road then. Like, because <laughs> we're so sick of everyone doing the same thing that if you want that, go there. But we're not doing it. Mm. So if you want to come to us, this is how we do it. You either enjoy it or you don't come in. Or you come in and complain and we just well, don't come back then. Yeah. There is that. And I think sort of the, the way, if if we take that formula, the kind of sod it, we'll see. People like it. People like that we were a bit rough around. They're just a bit unpredictable as a, as a kind of brewery. And I think it just makes more people want the beer. So I think, you know, if, if we do expand, there's plenty of other places in Cornwall where, you know, well, they're not even just Cornwall, but, you know, for, for example, along the North Coast where we are, where there's the same thing happening as that happened in Polzef, pubs that used to be sort of drinking pubs, like going out pubs, you'd have a band on, all sucked out to, to replace it with as many tables as possible doing food for the maximum margin. So Polzeth isn't alone. There's so many places along the coast, especially with you know the, the kind of gentrification from tourism. You've got old pubs being knocked down and they're building luxury apartments on it. So all we need is a field to put some containers on and a brewery somewhere in the middle of it all where we can supply those tap rooms. But you know we'll always keep the nano brewery I'm not going to put a nano brewery in every tap room because you'd just be mad. <laughs> because, you, you, you know, you can never produce enough for it. Mm. And also, it's really expensive to put a brewery in. Yeah. So, you may as well have a big brewery in the middle. Keep the nano brewery where it is because people like to come and see. And they like to see me with my headphones on brewing and doing bits and bobs and making a mess. But it's great for what it is, but it's far from perfect. Yeah. I would say for it to work long term, I think you need to have a backup. Yeah. I think you either have the nano brewery model that's fed by a regional production facility or if you're doing the nano brewery route i think it can't be the sole in our experience it can't be the sole provider it has to have guest beers as well you've got to be doing functions events stuff like that to keep people coming back yeah i think it's a lot of people that are starting to turn their hand to nano brewing whether it's for you know working alongside a job or like say, you know, as part of like a tap room type bottle shop setup. And mm-hmm. I, I know the latter is kind of what I've been looking at. Sort of little tap room, bottle shop, guest beers, my beers, everyone's a winner. But mm-hmm. then it's the thing of, well, do I want to brew and make beer and do all that? Or do I want to yeah. run a bar? You know, and that's that's the, that's the stumbling point I keep coming across. But some of that I thought was quite interesting from what you said was about essentially being true to yourself and who you are as a brewer and a business because it's very easy i know i i have in the past to look at at the time at least back in 2018 the magic rocks of this world and think yeah. oh, oh I, not only do i want to be like i need to be like that so it's, it's yeah. probably more i need to be like that than want to be like that because it's like oh i have to be like Cloudwater, whoever the next sexy brewery is yeah um rather than being true to yourself and there's a brewery local to me in Sheffield that I won't name so bang on about them enough. Um, but they're, they're very quirky. They're, they're, they're only like um, 10 eggs a litre. Um, so they're, they're not big at all, but they're very quirky and they're very them and they do the kind of beers they want to do. And everyone loves them yeah. because it's I not... I can guess who you're you, talking you, about. You probably can. <laughs> because yeah. they're not the, the next hip brewery trying to be like all the other brewers or whatever. 
they just really like they are, you know, and they express that. Yeah. And I think there's something really beautiful about when breweries do that and people do that, whether it, well, whether the musicians or they make scones, <laughs> I mean, whatever, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think you've, you've, um, I think it's all one a good sort of opening up a, a mimic brewery that you, oh, hazy IPAs are popular. I'm just going to make the hazy IPAs. But, all the ones that are doing really, really well and, you know, like the breweries that I think, oh man, they're just so fucking cool. They're, they're the guys who either were doing it before it was cool because they were just like, this is what I want to do or they're just doing everything because that's what they want to do. I haven't explained that very well, but... Um, no, no, totally. We do kettle sours, we do traditional lagers, we do amber ales. We don't do any cask because the shelf life's too small, but, yep. you know, we put it in a keg and we will put it in a cask eventually. Hazy IPAs, we do like big stouts, we do like a traditional porter, we do absolutely everything because we, we love drinking absolutely everything. And that's what we'll continue to do. And we do lots of one-off beers because the joy of being a nanobrewery. But even if we expand, we're still going to do that. And I think you, I, 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 I feel very strongly that you, you have to do that. I think you have to just do what you want to be drinking. And I think if it's going to work, it's going to work from that. If it's never going to work, it's never going to work. You know what I mean? It, it, it's, I think it's almost like fate. If it's good enough, you're passionate enough, do what you want to do with regards to how your brewery represents itself, how you market yourself, what beers you produce, how you produce them, who you employ to represent you. I think you have to do it all based on this is what I want to do, not what I think I should do. Yeah. Because it's so saturated. There's so many people doing it. There's so many people doing it really well that to just conform, sit in, sit in line and produce beers that you think are going to get really good on tap ratings and that's it. I, I, just, I just don't see that. I don't see that last thing. Yeah, I've got a friend that is a musician and I don't know if you listen to the podcast at all, but um, the intro theme is mm-hmm. by my friend Mark. Back in the early noughties, I think it was about 2003, he was on a development deal with Island Records and there were, there were two bands in the music industry amongst the NR people and you know industry types that were being touted as being like the next big thing. One was his band and the other was The mm-hmm. Darkness. So he was, you know, he 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 was of that kind of ill. His music's nothing like the darkness, but you know, yeah, there was a lot of hype surrounding him and his band, and the pressure got to him because he went from writing this really quirky music to trying to write the perfect pop hit, and in the end, Island was just like, we don't think it's working out, and he, you know, it just sort of faded away, fizzled, yeah, yeah, and then he wrote this song back in true form to what you know his music was like called constantly running which was about trying to write the perfect radio hit and the songs that came after that song and including that song were absolutely amazing you know and it and it, it's yeah. like he'd recaptured that spark and I, I think there is there's something beautiful about when people are passionate about something and they go for it similarly from what you were saying I did a recording with Pete Brown yesterday which by the time this podcast comes out people will be able to go back and listen to that so go listen to that if you've not heard it yet he was saying about how there's a lot of brewers out there all brewing hazy ipas and he confronts them now and says oh just like macro brewers then and they say well, what are you talking about and he's like well people like heineken chase beer trends so if you're making hazy ipas because you say oh well they just sell well they're the best sellers then you're doing what the micro brewers are doing and it's like there's mm. almost like it's like no no, 
Fuck yeah. seven minute abs, it's eight minute abs or whatever, <laughs> you know, if you get that reference. Um, you know, it's like, it's easy to find that trap. I find here, brewing on here, like I'm thinking about what I'm going to brew for this beer festival. And the first thing that comes to my head, I'm like, an IPA. And it's part of it that's like, but why? You know, it's like, I like IPAs as much as the next person, but I don't necessarily want to drink them all the time. Far from it, actually. I really like red ales and all the rest of it. And there's that tiny, it's that angel on your voice. It's like, oh, I'm brew a, a red rye, something or other. Then the devil's like, no. You know, it needs to be a, <laughs> needs to be a hazy IPA. Like, yeah, that's what I have most in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Citra, Mosaic, Simcoe. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. It'll sell. Yeah. And anyway. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I think I think you're right. It's. I mean, we 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 do love hazy IPAs and we brew hazy IPAs and hazy pails and dippers and stuff like that. But I feel like it's it's maybe slightly different where we are because of the seasonal fluctuations in in, 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 in the population and, mm. and the beer drinking population and the massive monopoly that Snotsford Brewery have on all the trade. So like when we opened, we were making hazy IPAs and everyone was coming in. Like young people were coming in, like 21-year-olds and saying, is this beer off because it's hazy? And I'm like, <laughs> but they've never had anything like it. Yeah. So we do quite a few IPAs and you know hazy beers, but as you said, it's not all we do. Mm. Like on the for, for on the board now, we've got Pagan Juice, which is our like main hazy parallel. We've got Wasson, which is a bit more sort of west coasty. We've got a Rye IPA. We've got a Porter. We've got a, a Raspberry and Peach Sour. We've got a Pilsner. We've got a Vienna Lager. It's it's you know it's like yeah, I I, I agree. You can't just be a, a a trend chaser because eventually. You know, when you're so invested in that and the trend changes, well, you're fucked. I think, you know, if you, you put all your eggs in one basket and you can only make hazy IPAs when everyone else in the world is making hazy IPAs and then the drinking population get a bit sick of it, what the hell are you going to do? You're going to transition to what cask amber ales are you? The, it's, yeah. you, you, you? I think you need to, um, well, in my opinion, I think you should you should be broad in your in your brewing styles because... Drinkers are unpredictable. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah, we, we, you know, like so, so it depends on the weather. It depends on everything. You've got to, you've got to broaden your horizons a bit if you want to succeed. I would say. Yeah, totally. Just to round off, I generally ask this question as the last question, but particularly in the light of recent events and the way life post pandemic is panning out, where do you see the brewing industry heading over the next few years? It's funny. I've actually been thinking about this a hell of a lot because we've been writing up the business plan to expand, mm. and I've been analyzing well what i think the trends will be i suspect there'll be a decline in the number of breweries definitely but i think there'll be a forced evolve or die you know sort of like um, natural selection effectively yeah i think there's a lot of breweries you know there's about 2000 something breweries in the uk now, how many of those breweries are what i sort of call farm shop breweries like this is the i don't want to offend anyone saying this but breweries that supply two or three farm shops and maybe one or two pubs and they're normally people who've retired and opened a brewery because they like beer mm. how many of those 2000 are those how many of those 2000 are breweries where people think wow owning a brewery is cool I've got a load of money I'm going to buy a brewery I'm going to employ someone pay them naffle and then I'm going to force them to make hazy IPAs because that's what's popular how many of them those 2000 are those breweries and then how many of those 2000 breweries are stone age breweries that will never do anything other than 4% cask bitters. So I think there's going to be a decline in the number of breweries, but I think it's really going to push the quality 
breweries and the innovative breweries right to the forefront. And I think, you know, once we're through this economic cloud that's coming our way, I think coming out of it, I think big breweries are always going to make cheap beer and they're always going to supply big pub chains. But I think in this economic downturn, I think pub chains are going to suffer because the people that like cheap beer generally don't have loads of money to spend on it. So I think there's going to be a lot of tied estate, big chain estate going up, sort of either changing, you know, becoming flats or things like that, or becoming independent premises again. Mm. And I think when that happens, which I think, because I think it will, I think the only, one of the only ways that you can succeed as an independent now is to do the opposite as the chains. You can't be selling the same brands as the supermarkets and the chains because someone will always be doing it cheaper. Yeah, absolutely. You have to be striving to get in a varied bit, you know, varied suppliers. You have to get in suppliers with sort of good uh, moral standards. I think that's going to be really important. And I think the quality has got to be there. And, and you know, you've got to be unique because if there's going to be more independence, they can't all be buying from the same five or six hype breweries. So I think, I think you're always going to have, I think, you know, there's going to be a sort of consolidation of the market. There's going to be big breweries at the top, you know, North, you know, Northern Monk North, the guys who were doing supermarket stuff, but still sort of craft the, the, the sort of the gap that they have left the void, I think will fill up with the likes of Beak or Barron Brewery. You know, there's kind of new yep. cool breweries that are just, they're not as big as the big boys. I don't know if they want to be that big, but they're more exclusive. And I think, the kind of guys at the bottom, the farm shop breweries, I think, unfortunately, they're going to sort of be the ones going off the cliff unless they sort of reinvent themselves. Or, for instance, uh, James Rylance, who used to be at, um, at Beaver Town, and he was at Red Church and um, at Harbour. He's just opened up his own little brewery. I'll have to find the name of it. I can't remember off the top of my head. But he's in Cornwall. And it's. It, I was looking at the kit. It's like an old Dave Porter kit. I think he's going to be doing like mixed firm stuff and you know like that kit is probably bought by someone who just fancied opening a brewery as a hobby it obviously hasn't worked so there's all these kits floating around and i think that bottom section of farm shop breweries i think they will sort of become either successful really mixed firm spontaneous really niche breweries selling to restaurants and things like that but i just i think there's going to be a massive consolidation big boys are going to stay at the top I think there's a void to be filled in the middle, which is where I, I personally see Blunt Rock kind of moving into. And I think there's going to be these niche breweries at the bottom on the production kind of barrels per year. And I think that's where nano breweries are going to sit as well. I think nano breweries are going to sit there, but I think it might sort of, you know, what, what we've tried, the really tiny kit with load of FVs, it's a lot of work. I think it's going to be more someone opening a nano brewery but maybe having two FEs or one FE but they're getting a really cheap old Dave Porter kit of some farm shop brewery that didn't survive so I think that's that is sort of that's a very long answer but that's sort of where I see it going yeah. and I think it's going to be a good thing I think it's only going to drive quality up and I think it's going to you know increase consumer standards they're going to be expecting a better beer every time which in turn is going to push breweries to to make better beers Totally. Oh, I think that was a great answer. Bill, well, thanks for being on the podcast this week. How can people find out more and where can they pay your visit? Uh, yeah, so we're, we're on social media. Instagram's our main one. We've got Facebook as well, but most of the stuff goes out on, on Instagram. Um, currently, to get the beer, you, you basically got to come to the tap room. <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're hoping to expand. And when we do, 
hopefully you'll hear about it because you know we're gonna we're gonna make a big old song and dance about it. I hope you will check us out and give us a give us a bit of, you know a few minutes of your time. Happy days. Next time I'm in Cornwall, I'll definitely pop down. Absolutely. Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot Four podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. <laughs>